Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is like week 4 in Ephesians 2. I'm not counting, but let's read it. And I want you to read it from the picture of Jay, who led our worship set this morning, standing with Paul in his prison cell in Rome, singing that the name of Jesus breaks every chain, just like we just did. That there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain, that heaven's gates have swung wide, that our redemption has been paid for, that everything that we need has been given to us in the person of Jesus. And Paul is so stoked and he's so aware of his own needs and his own fleshly condition that he keeps going back to the bad news. That way we might understand the good news in contrast. It's called reality. Okay, so what makes South Beach Church really, in my opinion, so dynamic is all the different people, the different walks of life, the different stories, that every one of us are going through our story, our life, and there's ups and downs, and there's ins and outs, and there's rights and there's wrongs, and there's victories and there's failures. That's everybody's story, every single body in the entire world, minus sans Jesus. And Jesus comes in and looks for the beat up, the broken down, the bummed out, the ones who are humble enough to say, Wow, have I blown it. Man, do I make mistakes. I actually fear I'll make more mistakes. <laughs> you know, Lord, are you sure you want to team up with me? And the Lord says, yeah, trust me. I can save your soul and I can change your life. Walk with me. I can break every chain. I can give you new life. I can give you purpose for the pain. I can give you purpose in the pain. And that peace surrounds those who would tap into Jesus today. Who would say, yeah, Lord, take my life. All, all the if, ands, and buts, all the warts and wrinkles, all the stuff around me, take my life and make it yours. And break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. And imagine Paul's writing. He's seen it happen in his own life. And he just can't stop talking about it. So with that image, read with me. Paul stating this in verse one of chapter two. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all, in the Greek, if you do a word study on all, it means all, all of us. Among whom all we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Lest you miss it, I'll go over it again, but in verses 1, 2, and 3, he talks about our three enemies, the infernal enemy, the devil, the internal enemy, ourself, and the external enemy, the world, the things of the world and the wisdom of the world. All those three are waging and raging against you and I. Even to this day, there's a war going on, isn't there? Right now, is there a war going on, like right in front of you? Sometimes you're confused and sometimes you're surprised that it's actually going on inside of you. And all of a sudden, like war verbiage comes out of you every once in a while. And you're like, what is wrong with me? And when you realize that these three enemies are active and alive, then you look to verse four. This is the contrast, the segue, the comparison. But God, man, that's true, those three enemies. But God, who is rich in mercy. So again, the subject matter, the object of this particular verse is in us. We, we know our problem. We're all messed up. There's a war, but God. It's all about him. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, we proved it in trespasses. He made us alive with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together. And he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse seven. Well, that in the ages to come. And again, that could be now. This is 2,000 years later. Right now, God is still the most popular person in the world, okay? And he's still doing the most good in the entire world. He's still extending his love more efficiently and effectively than anyone else in the entire world on all fronts. That in the ages to come, it could be now, but it could also be forever and ever and ever in eternity. If you ever wonder what a glimpse of heaven might be like, it could be in verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is displaying his kindness right now. Did you notice there's a little bit of thing out there called the sun right now? 
Okay, that's God's kindness. Okay, God created that for us. How many of you guys, when the sun comes out, you're just like, oh, oh, I can live, I can live, I can live. Okay, God, God made so many things for us to display his kindness. Everything that is good and everything that is great and everything that is awesome and all those felt pieces we've received are from the Lord to display his kindness. And even more so, you are a walking billboard, okay? That's a current term. Paul would call it a living epistle. That is, you're alive, but you're telling a story. You're writing something out. And everybody looks at you and says, wow, you're kind of you're crazy in this world. What makes you different? How did you save your marriage? Or how did you bounce back after you lost your marriage? Or how did you find yourself walking in wholeness when you were so broken? What? And, and you can say, oh, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved me, when I was dead in trespasses and sins, made me alive and has caused me to sit together with him in heavenly places. You can know that. They can say, no way. You say, Yahweh, no way, Yahweh. That's how my conversations go, like a, like a second grader. Anyways, verse eight, how? How did this happen? You need to get this. Paul is tripping so hard because he had done so much. He had tried so hard. He had worked harder than you will ever work. You know that? Paul had done more than you'll ever do, straight up. And he's laughing in his cell, and he says, verse eight, for it's by grace you've been saved, through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul could, of all people, boast the most, okay? And he had realized the closest. Nothing I did counted. Nothing I did actually convinced God to be loving. I put myself, I became lovable one day and God hugged me. That's how it was. I cleaned my act up and God pursued me. No, that's religion. That's what the religious world teaches you. If you do right and you get strong and you nav navigate on your navel and you meditate on this and you reach nirvana and you separate from your ego and you do this, then maybe you'll reach that plane of perfection. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's, that's not even close. Trust me, I did that and more. I got the shirt. I made a hoodie. Didn't work. It didn't work. It's by grace you've been saved, not of works. It's a gift of God through faith. Lest anyone should boast. It's the love. It's the kindness. It's the good. It's his riches. His riches. His riches. How many of you guys feel special when you know somebody's rich? Like we're just in our, in our sin. We're like, I know somebody's rich. It's like, well, are you rich? No, but I know them. And we want to just kind of like, I just, you know. And we want to just kind of get a little bit of it. Just make it. I know them. They are the ones who are the object of attention and perfection. They're the rich ones, the, the ones that we, God is that rich one. And Paul is saying after a life of beating himself up, literally, some of those Judaic disciplines, even to this day, I remember when I went into the tomb of King David there in Jerusalem, you could go tour the tomb of King David. And we walked in there, a bunch of Calvary Chapel pastors and a bunch of Calvary Chapel people wearing our hoodies and our hats and all our stuff. And we walked in, there was a good Jewish male there who had both of his arms wrapped up tight with prayer wrappings, these leather bands, skin bulging out. And he had a Bible, a miniature Bible strapped to his forehead. It's called a phylactery. And he had the scriptures written on his hands and he was bobbing back and forth and praying and trying to get near to God. And here we Calvary Chapel people walked in with ketchup on our face and French fries and sunflower seeds, tourists, you know, having the Holy Spirit living right in us. And it wasn't our work or worth <laughs> that drew God to ourselves. It's because he is a lover and he pursues and he goes after from the uttermost to the guttermost. It's all him, okay? Paul knew that. It's by grace you've been saved. It's not, it's... Why? Verse 10, this is where we'll end today in our time of study. Hopefully we'll get this far. We may not. What's God doing with our lives right now? Why have we been saved? Why have we been forgiven? Why have we been restored? What do I do now? Verse 10 tells us clearly, for we are his workmanship. The Greek word there means poem or project. We're his project. He's building something right now. He's doing something great in you. If you've ever done a project, you know sometimes there's good days and sometimes there's bad days. Sometimes there's those days you take a picture of it and put it on Facebook, okay? Some days you just hide the project and wish it never existed, right? You've done projects. They're messy. God's doing something in your life right now. Most of you would, would admit, oh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the middle of that project. <laughs> Got a hard hat on, construction zone. He says this, we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus, not just to be saved or be on display. Those are both true. We've talked about that. He said those things already. But created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Incredible. Incredible. God, who is rich in mercy, saved us. That's sweet. God, who is rich in mercy, has given to us access to him and to his spirit. In verse 7, we're seated with him. Sweet. But he's done so, not just to display to the rest of the world how good he is. That's happening. But he's also made you, created you, saved you, restored and restoring you for good works. I just want you to get this lest we miss it and I talk too long. But God predestined you before the foundation of the world to be saved. That is, when he thought of the world and its beginning and end format, nothing surprises him. He knows the end from the beginning, and he knew you would accept his son as his savior. Therefore, you're predestined by his foreknowledge. You're going to heaven. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You're going to heaven. But he also predestined you. Oh, I want you in heaven. Great. And some of us think, oh, cool. I'll be there in 80 years. I got to do some stuff. I got to do some, th- some things. I'll, I'll meet you there. And he says, that's great. That's great. I want that stuff and those things, though, to be good works for me. I don't want you to wait to get to heaven to be in heaven. You're actually seated in heaven right now. I don't want you to wait until eternity begins in your mind to walk as an eternal being. I want you to enjoy eternity now. And God has predestined you to be there forever. Woo! But he's also, check this out, predestined good works that are not yet done, okay, on April 27th, coming up on April 30th, okay, on May 2nd, there's good works that God knows about that he said, you're actually, you actually have a part coming up, don't blow it. You know, predestined for things. And I think this changes our understanding of our lives and our purpose on so many levels, because I am so fired up just to die and go to heaven one day. I'm saying, guys, that just encourages me so much on certain days. I'm like, man, I'm almost there, I'm almost there. And the Lord would say, yeah, that's so true. And that's an anchor of hope. But there are so many people that need salt and light. And there are so many cool things that if you co-op with me, if you step in my footsteps that I've already laid out for you, it's what it says there. He's already, you don't even have to be that creative. You just have to show up. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The greatest ability in Christianity, because people always wonder, well, what are my skills? What can I offer? What can I? The greatest ability is availability, where you straight up say, I'm going to give God some of my time. I don't know what he's going to do. He'll do something. And so many of us spin out of control and we do our own lives and we live low lives and we just live less lives because we don't have the creativity to co-op with God when all he's saying is just surrender. When my wife and I, you guys know the story, when we moved to Newport, God told us to move here. It was very clear. We didn't ask him why though. We didn't say, what are you going to do? What's it going to be like? What's it gonna, are they going to be nice to us? We didn't. We just said, okay. Well, yeah, we imagine, we believe that there would be good works for us to walk in, and there are. And when God tells you one step, he'll take you to the next step. It's such good news. And Paul here with Jay in the cell singing, he can break every chain, is standing up penning this greatest chapter that we get to read this morning and pray and now preach. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand and to believe and to reach and to access the very truth of God in our lives here in Lincoln County, that, Lord, we would be those who revel in your greatness, your riches, and your love, and your mercy, and therefore are changed internally, and then allow you then to put us on display, and then trust you to lead us step by step for great and crazy and miraculous and foreordained and predestined works before the foundation of the world. God, I pray in Jesus' name you'd bless this time. And more than just blessing this time, I, I, I know you will. But I pray you bless my friends in this church, myself, my wife, my kids. You'd bless us, Lord, with truth that transcends culture. Truth, Lord, that transcends thoughts. Truth, Lord, that transcends all things because you are truth. And we trust you to show us, Lord, the way and to be the life. Light us up today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I love this contrast that Paul presents to us of how we were prior to our salvation. 
that the devil was controlling us, our flesh led us, that the world was our course, all these things that we all concur with and say, yeah, that's exactly how it was, and a little more, my story even gets crazier. And we see then him navigate like a master storyteller, weaving back and forth into what God has done and what we have done in order to then elevate God. And you know that a jeweler, in order to demonstrate the beauty of diamonds, will put them on a black canvas backdrop, a felt can the light shining there, and the jewels shine the brighter. And the darker your story, the greater God's glory. I remember when I was 16, I was with Pastor Bo. We grew up here in Newport, and we were 16. I just got my driver's license. I don't think you should get a driver's license until you're like 40. But anyways, they hand them out when you're 16. And then, so we were 16, I was driving down 101 right by the armory there. And I remember we were listening to Beastie Boys, super loud, had two 15-inch woofers in the, in the cab of my car, way too many woofers, way too much stuff going on there. And I was listening to the music super loud. We were just kind of being goofy. To be completely honest, what we were doing was we were shaking our head back and forth, letting our tongue hit our cheek like that, and I was driving. I'm just being honest, okay? It's a true story. And we were just having, screaming, yelling, just driving. And next thing I know, I had a friend behind me real close. He was a sheriff. And uh, he's he showing me his lights and stuff. I was like, oh, that guy wants to talk to me. And so I pulled into this JC Market parking lot, and he comes over, and me and Bo are scared. I was like, oh, no, you know. And he tells me all the things I'd done wrong, speeding, distracted driving, crossed the center line three or four times, music too loud, just, oh, no, I'm 16, it's over. And he goes back to his car, and I'm just sweating bullets. And here's how the story came. He came back to me, and he told me the total sum of the tickets of my infractions. It was like $1,200, okay, which is a small fortune for a 16-year-old boy, you know, I was going to have to sell myself, you know, and, and, all, and he says, but here's the deal. I'm going to give you a warning because I got another call. It's more important. I got to go. And I want you to pay attention. I want you to stop this tomfoolery and turn your music down. He gave me a stern warning and a, and a warning and he left, man. And I was set free. <laughs> we turned the music down and drove normal for like a block. And we've, we've all been busted, right? You know that feeling. You see, even today, you see a cop behind you and you're a law-abiding citizen, you pay your taxes, you don't speed or text while you drive, you see a cop, you start sweating. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's gonna find something on me. He's gonna find... Just me? Okay, anyways. <laughs> it, the old dies hard. And we've all been caught red-handed before and dealt that mercy, that grace, where you deserve the book, you deserve those infractions, you deserve your license to be ripped up right in front of you. We've all been caught red-handed before. A couple days ago, just maybe three weeks ago, I came down the stairs, and the story, you guys know how it works at my house. My boys usually beat me to the punch. They're up doing crazy stuff downstairs, and I come down there and just assess the damage. And so I came downstairs, and here's Noah in the kitchen, and he's just staring at me. And I, inst I just stare at him, and I kind of just observe what I see around his face, and he kind of looks like Joker from the Batman chocolate on top and chocolate everywhere and I was just I look at him I was like did you get up into the cupboard and get your mom's chocolate and he looks at me like I just used the force to read his mind you know what I'm saying he's like what you know I was like how does who are you you know he's like uh he's honest my kids are honest when they're busted he's like yeah I, I did and I you know and I, I told him he shouldn't do that I, I you know he's like dad here's the deal though it didn't even taste good because it was the 90s it was the 97 percent dark chocolate stuff you know those little bars it tastes like topsoil and he's got it all over his face gosh. And he said, dad, it didn't even taste good. And I was like, sin, sin never does, son. It never does. Never does. Poor kid. I'm like, man, come on, dude. Come on. It doesn't take long to examine your life and just to consider that you have offended a holy God. Okay, you haven't been perfect. You've, you've made mistakes. It doesn't take long. There's so many people in the world who are still using improper standards to justify their sin, justify their behavior, justify, justify their orientation, justify their bents, justify their past. Well, I'm not as bad, and it was because, and if I didn't, and they shouldn't have. And if you just go there and say, yeah, I'm actually all messed up. I was born this way, and then I lived this way. That's just the bottom line. I was born into sin. As a matter of fact, Paul levels six things against every human being that has ever lived, and he gives them to us. We studied it last week. I'll just go through them quickly. The first one is that we are born dead, born in trespasses and sins. You are born dead. That is separated from God. You've been disconnected because of our parents. We were inherited this nature. Our spirits are dead and separated from God. We don't have union with him until there is a rebirth. That's the first thing we have going against ourselves. The second thing is that we've trespassed against him. With our rebel hearts, we've actually done those things where God says, don't touch this. You're like, you mean this? You know, don't do this. You mean this? And that's exactly what Eve did. The very first thing, she was deceived into a rebel heart. 
And then he also says the third thing, you have these sins against the Lord. Did you know there's sins of commission? I mean, it's things we do we shouldn't do. We, we commit sins. God says, don't do it, and we do it. But there's also sins of omission. There's things we should do. And in our selfishness, in our pride, and in our smallness, we say, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to love them. I'm not going to give some money to the bum, even though I feel God telling me to do it this time. I'm not gonna, we just, we, we omit obedience. And so we have this deadness. We have this rebel heart, and we have this sin against God. Fourthly, we've taken our cues from the world. He says that you once walked according to the course of the world, going wherever the world goes, the fads and the trends. We've all done that. There's people still today doing that. The world's getting wavier and wavier and more tumultuous, isn't it? It's getting crazy out there, and it's not going to get any better until the Lord takes over in individuals' lives and collectively. Uh, fifthly, we've all teamed up with the devil. He said, you followed the ways of, of the infernal enemy, this devil. We've all done his bidding. And I remember one time I was actually going to move from Ashland. I was going to do my own thing and kind of move, and God whispered to me. He said, you can. I'll bless you. You can. But the devil wants you to leave Ashland too. He wants you, I'm going to do something. The devil knows it, and the devil wants you to leave Ashland too. And I had done so much work for the devil already in my life. I was like, well, I'm just going to stick and stay and make it pay then. I'm going to stay here in Ashland. I'm not going to work for him anymore. And we've done that, though. We've all teamed up within our lives this infernal enemy. And uh, sixthly, we've found ourselves not just blaming it on the world or blaming it on the devil, but we've all thought of some crazy stuff, haven't we? He says, you followed the wanton nature of your heart and your lust of your flesh, Man, you guys, can you imagine how embarrassing it would be if your thoughts on any given week were projected for all of us to see? We could, here, you know how crazy it would be? You couldn't handle it. You could, you'd be so freaked out. That's just you. That's just me. And, and we've all offended the Lord, okay? So we've been caught, the red light's behind us, pulled over in J.C. Market, the guy's going over, well, I see a bunch of stuff out of order in your life. You've got chocolate all over your face. And here's the deal. Paul, wanting us to realize that, understand that, because if you know what we've been delivered from, you'll appreciate what we've been delivered to, okay? You need to appreciate what God has asked us to be a part of, the, the church, the mission, Light in life, the Bible, prayer, all these things that he's given to us. And if you don't understand, if you were with a millstone around your neck going to the bottom of the ocean, you actually couldn't save yourself. I was talking with a friend just this last week. He said he was, went scuba diving for the first time, and he was at the Illinois River. Went way deep, like 60 feet deep, and he was having a good time, really clear. And he was coming back up, and as he was coming back up, he ran out of oxygen on his way back up. And so he found himself going up, just, I can make it, I just got to take my mask off. And as soon as he got to the top, he took his mask off. And as soon as he got to the top, he took a breath, but he had a 50-pound weight on that makes him sink. So as soon as he came up, he just went right back down. And he had no oxygen left. His rookie diver had never been through like, things like this. And he had an experienced diver with him who reached out and grabbed him and pulled him to the shore. And he would have died. He saved his life. And the reality is, is you couldn't save yourself. You were, you were sinking. Even if you've identified, the world around is identifying problems and core issues, but they can't save yourself. You actually need a savior to act on your behalf. When God saves you, he does something. And here Paul is saying, you have these six things. And there's even more. Six things, though, that kind of encompass all of your offenses. You've offended God in so many different ways. And then he goes on to say then, but God. You need to understand if you know that bad news is bad, the good news will be that much more appreciated. The Bible says this, that when you offend God through sin, S-I-N, okay, the wages of sin, that is the paycheck, the reward, the, the due, what you get is what? Starts with D, rhymes with F. Death, not meth, death, okay? Death. The wages is, the, could go a lot of different directions there. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. That's not the end of the verse, though. It goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Paul, the author, he said, guys, guys, gals, gals, people, people, listen, listen. The wages of sin is death. You get this direct deposit, but the gift, it's not a wage. You don't earn it. It's a gift of God is eternal life. And he contrasts these two, that we might find every chain broken in our lives and every purpose revealed in our life and then every work that God wants us to walk in revealed in our life. It says here in verse three, read the end with me again. I'll just read it. It says, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, by nature children of wrath, just as the others. <laughs> 
most people think that the entire population of the world, in one generic sense, and maybe it's just a human sense, that we're all children of God. Okay, we're all children of God. We all come from God. We're all made in the image of God. We're all children of God. The Bible says that until you're born again, you're actually a child of wrath. Okay, you may be born in the image of God, created in his image, but you're broken and unredeemed and unregenerate. And in your natural state, you're actually standing directly in the pathway of wrath. The wrath of God is coming on a God-forsaking, Christ-rejecting, sin-loving world. And you need to just understand that. Because Paul understood, he says, oh my goodness, you were a child of wrath, as were we all, but now we're not. We're over here now. It's a good spot to be. We were right here. It's a bad spot to be because the wrath of God is still coming for those who won't do it their way that God has shown them to do it. Standing in the pathway of wrath is a scary thing. When we, um, one time we're at this hotel on a vacation, my family and I, Nemo, he's about four years old at the time, he's six now, and there was this monorail system there at this, in the lobby, and this train was coming, and all Nemo thought to himself is, I want to throw some rocks over. They told me this story just the other day, we talk about it all the time, and Nemo wanted to throw rocks, and so he walked right in front of this monorail that was coming, and he literally jumped out of the way, and it just clipped his back, and he almost got ran over and died. We, we all almost died that day, and he got to the other side, and the monorail had to go, and the train conductor came out, and she was like, what happened? I'm not even kidding, not making this stuff up, and Nemo's like... I just want to throw a rock. I just want to throw a rock. I didn't die. I'm fine. <laughs> when you're standing in the pathway of the oncoming wrath of God, you need to consider, number one, because none of us like it, number one, it's justified. Do you know that the wrath of God is justified? Okay, wrath is kind of an interesting word. I can understand God being angry. Like, angry is a, a normal word. Wrath is that kind of a weird word, like wrath, okay? It's, it, wrath is... It's justified vengeance toward one who's broken the law. Can you, I mean, it's just a little different. It's kind of like war path, like war paint. Like, I'm gonna, you're going to actually really pay for this. This is actually, you've really, let me use a few illustrations to help you get there. Because not many people like to talk about the wrath of God, okay? They like to talk about the love of God. Did you know that an attribute of love is wrath? If you truly love somebody, you will have wrath for that which hurts, that which you love. In other words, I love my family. I love them. I love them. And if anybody comes in to hurt my family or to abuse them or to mess with them or to entice them or take them down, guess what? You got some Papa Bear wrath coming out, okay? And I'm not afraid of anything. I'm gonna, you know what I'm saying? It's going to come down hard. Justified wrath. You read the paper. You see the news. Some of you avoid it because it's just too gnarly. The abuse, the torture the craziness, the creativity of darkness that shows up in the headlines from time to time. Third world countries, all this stuff, our own society. And there is inside of you a wrath, a frustration. And our PC, humanistic, liberal culture says, oh, no, 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 no. We just need to legislate or we just need to validate or we just need to validate, whatever. <laughs> it's like, what, what if we just say no and yes? What if we say right and wrong? What if we say clear and unclear? What if we say in and out? What if we say God's word is the only word? It's actually pretty clear. It's actually pretty right on. It's actually pretty radical. When you do things God's way, I'm not even making this stuff up. When you do things God's way, everything goes in front of you right, okay? God says, I'll go before you and I'll pave the way. I will show you the way. I'll be with you on the way. Yet the world has made their own pattern, and so have you, and so have I. But God, that's the segue, because Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but God, who is rich in mercy, God, the gift of life, God, the gift that you don't deserve, is kindness. So I just need you to understand the wrath of God is real, and the wrath of God is justified, okay? Very serious stuff, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's one known as the wrath eater, Lest you ever wonder why The Passion of the Christ made you cry so hard when you saw it, when Mel Gibson made that film. Lest you wonder why Jesus Christ had his beard pulled out of his face and his visage, that means what he looked like, his visage marred more worse than any man ever in history. Lest you wonder why the Son of God had to suffer the way he did, it's because he endured, listen, God's wrath for your sake. Cray, 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 crazy. Like a, a man dying for another person, I get it. Like, that's cool. 
He, he didn't just die. What if they would have just executed him? Super simple, just execute him. He didn't, okay? He, he prayed and he sweat blood. He covered our sins. He was beaten and mocked and tried and striped and bruised, okay? When you take communion later, you'll notice that your communion, your matzah, okay, your Jewish matzah bread is, is discolored and it's striped and it's got holes in it, okay? Not even realizing that that signifies the beatings that Christ endured. And it says it's a picture of his body for you. It doesn't have to be that way. The wrath of God doesn't have to take you out. The monorail system gonna lay you over doesn't have to impact you if you trust in the Savior, the one who actually said, I'll, I'll eat your wrath. Jesus said, the fourth thing on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He's hanging there. Because at that time and the first time in all of the world, the universe, God the Father turned his back on God the Son and they were separated as God the Son endured and absorbed your sin and my sin and God's wrath simultaneously. Imagine it. He ate your sin, all of your offenses, every one of them. Even the one you're struggling with this morning, you walked in here saying, can I ever get over this? Will I ever be able to forgive? Can I forgive myself? He ate that wrath. He suffered for you. And Paul stands up and says, oh, but God, you did this, you did that, the world did this, the devil does that, but that's not the end of the story. It's, not, it's, a, it's a grand meta-narrative, okay? That is an overarching summarization of the history of the universe of God's creation is God was offended, yet God is rich. We've been offensive and yet we're still poor. God in his mercy, kindness, and goodness comes into our life. And while Paul lays out six things of offense, he also then gives us six reasons why God did what he did. Look at verse four. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. The first thing he wants you to understand is that it's not your richness, it's God's richness that makes you rich, okay? It's, it's a move of God, it's an attribute of God. He is so rich that he has benevolently and kindly butted into your situation, butted into your story. I want you to consider that next time you read this. He butted in, verse four says, but God. And God, because he's so rich, saw your plight, saw how poor and backwards and messed up you were, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And so he said, well, I'm going to come in here and cover some bills. I'm going to butt into your situation. But God, who's rich in mercy, and while the gift of God is eternal life, the wages of our sin is death, okay, God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he's done so for six different reasons, okay? And the first thing I just want you to understand is that he has no limit to his love and mercy. Matter of fact, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It goes on to list the fruits of the Spirit. All of us begin to immediately think about ourselves, okay? How does this look in my life? Do I have love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, because of self-control? Against such there is no law. And we're like, okay, how do I have that? Do I have any fruit? Listen, it, you should think about yourself a little bit. What if, though, the fruit of the Spirit is really the fruit of the Spirit? What if it's God? What if he says, oh, and by the way, there's no law. There's no limit. With my love, my kindness, my, gen, my, my goodness, my meekness, my, everything I have, there's no cap. There's no budget. And so many people in here say, well, I've already been forgiven for this twice. I've already offended the Lord four times. I've actually been struggling with this for a year or, or 10. I actually, I probably exercise, and I'd ask people who are struggling with sin and beating themselves up, I always ask them this kind of profound question. I say, is your sin worse than Jesus' blood? Is your sin more powerful than the blood of Christ? And everyone would say, no, of course not. not no. Oh, okay, well, it's what seems to be the problem here? Is his blood more powerful than your offense? Yeah, his blood covers my offense. It's so rich and so vast and so deep. There's no law. As a matter of fact, if you're feeling right now like the love of God and mercy aren't impacting your life right now, it's not because he's poor or has moved. It's because you're doing it wrong. You've fallen from grace, at least in this area of your life, and you've fallen back into works and legalism, and you've fallen back into self-effort and self-righteousness and self-value. If you feel like you don't have love and mercy right now, you just, I just feel distance from the Lord. I, do, I feel like I'm a disappointment to him. I just I keep trying. I keep failing. And at what point did it ever become about you? Can you imagine saving somebody from drowning? 
getting to the beach, camera crews, everyone's there, family. And all of a sudden, the person you saved is like, yeah, it was pretty intense. But then once I started thinking things through and doing it right, like, I'm pretty sure you were unconscious. I had to give you CPR. I was like, well, no, I was unconscious, but I was with you the whole time. And I started puking up water on my own. It's like, no, you were dead. And there's this weird trick to get you anxious and unsettled and messed up in your thinking. You need to understand the very first thing he says, it's God who is rich. It's God who has great love. It's God who demonstrated that toward us. Okay, the sweet spot of Christianity. By the way, grace changes everything. Grace catapults you into righteousness. The book of Titus tells us that. When you understand it's God's God's grace and kindness every single moment in your life, that's what you need yet again. That then teaches you to deny ungodliness and to move forward. Okay, so the first thing that he shows us why and how God did this. He's, he's just rich in mercy. Have you ever been around somebody who's really rich and loves you? Like, just imagine, somebody's more, more rich than you, let's just put it that way. And you go out to lunch, and you're like, I wonder who's gonna pay. Hmm. Hmm. You know, they, lo- they just they love to take care of you. They love to take care of you, and you, you, you love to be taken care of. Wouldn't it be radical to be that way with your God and say, no, he's actually the rich one. I'm actually kind of messed up <laughs> and he's using me for his glory and I just, I, I want to do more, but I just going to let him continue to cover me with his rich mercy and his great love. And I'm going to explore that. Not only does he do it with his rich love and mercy, uh, it says verse five, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. I could spend a lot of time here, and I may. Um, I want you to understand that it was your death and your decay and your darkness that attracted the Lord to you. It was never anything in you that was good or great or grand that the Lord said, oh, there's a guy trying pretty hard to save himself. I think I'll go ahead and save him. He's going to be an A-team captain. <laughs> this is going to be an elder in the church right here. <laughs> you were dead. There was nothing in you that was attractive, nothing in you at all. It's God's love exploding on dead people. It's about him, not you. And there's this perversity in us that wants to be a little bit attractive, want to be a little bit worth something, something. Your worth comes from his wealth, okay? It's still all him. And when he does a great work, this makes things so fun when it's not about you. When it never was about you and it's not gonna be about you. Oh my goodness, things get fun and they get exciting when you realize, oh, if he started this escapade with my life and with humanity in deadness, then there's nothing that can stop him in the future. This is actually only gonna get better and better and better now that I'm alive in Christ. He made us alive. And then he goes on to say in verses six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, why? But I just want you to understand this because it's going to change a few things. And I ended with these thoughts last week. I'll now sow them again. I want you to read the Bible with this mindset. Looking for but gods. Looking for where God butts into situations. Because it's every story in the Bible but God. But God. Jonah tried to run from God. Jonah said no to God. Jonah threw himself suicidally into the ocean. But God who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved Jonah, made him who was dead and trespasses and sins alive and then used him for crazy stuff. We just studied the book last year. Esther, we studied the book of Esther. Esther had a death sentence on her head, her uncle's head and the entire Jewish race's head, but God. Moses found himself doing his own ministry, his own way in pride and having a death sentence on his head, running into the wilderness for years and years, and God would use him to deliver the children of Israel, but God. Every single, Abraham, Abraham, the father of faith, Abraham was a pagan, idolatrous, crazy person living in the woods, but God, and chose him, made him a father of faith. What if you, it's going to make your Bible study so much more fun. But God, but God. As a matter of fact, I read a verse at the beginning of the service out of Zechariah. And it was a word to Zerubbabel, the builder of the temple, who had stopped for about 17 years. 
not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And he goes on to say, and use a rubble. You're going to lay that capstone, bruh. You're going to finish what you started. It's not by might, not by power, though. You're going to do it. It's going to be fun. But God, who is rich in mercy, and if you take the time to read your Bible looking for the stories that elevate and that extract God's love, kindness, riches, you're, you're reading it right finally. Do you know that? A lot of people wonder why the Bible's so crazy. Okay? You ever read the Bible before? You ever read the Bible from a critical point of view? You're like, you believe this stuff? Have you read this stuff? So, like, yeah, dude read this stuff. It's the same as the newspaper today, okay? This crazy stuff. The, the, the imagination of the hearts of mankind is still exuding today in daily activities what has been happening from the beginning of creation, and God has stayed his course as being kind and just and righteous, and mankind has stayed his course doing real good, being a crazy person. That's, that's, our, that's our story, and God comes in. But God, with Jonah's and with Matthew's and with Peter's, with James's and John's and with Luke's. He does this for so many reasons. Again, I could spend time. I want to get through this. Actually, I don't want to get through this. I just want to keep talking. We're going to keep going. Wouldn't it be fun, though, to look not just at the Bible at areas that you would say, but God who's rich in mercies, but what if you started looking in your own life, okay, for the but God who's rich in mercies? What do you need God to move into right now in your life? Maybe your marriage is terrible. Maybe it's just hard. It's tough, but God who's rich in mercy, with his love with which he loved us, can bring life to the death? What if your kids are out of control or they're too far gone or the distance is there? But God! What if your finances are just so upside down, you're about to go into foreclosure, you're about to lose your house, you're about to go bankrupt, something, you're into debt, you just can't stop? But God! A lot of us are, God must be so mad at me. Everything's so messed up. My marriage, my kids, my finances, my health. Man, he must be disappointed. Really? You were dead when he jumped into your life. He is so much more now invested and committed and stoked on what he's doing in your life. What if you looked at your life? What if you looked at the people around you's life and thought to yourself, man, I wonder if there's a but God coming your way. I wonder if but God can do something. I wonder if God wants to butt into your story. I'm not kidding. Here's the problem. When you look at other people's lives, two things happen. Number one, you examine them and you grade them on your scale. <laughs> All the reasons why they're gonna blow it. They can't pull out of this. They're losers. They've done this to themselves. They'll do it again, and you do that. You're just like, ah, da, 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 whatever. Then, if you think, well, that's a sad story, then you throw yourself into the equation. Well, if I helped out, I could, nope, I'm a loser too, huh. Okay, I think I'll just keep driving. I can't help them, they can't help themselves. What if you saw not just the Bible for its stories and your life for its story, what if you saw other people and said, oh, you, you are messed up, okay? And I am too, but God, who is rich in mercy with his great love with which he loved us. I bet, you, I bet you there's a but God there. Abraham got one, Jonah got one, Daniel got one, Esther got one, Matthew got one, Peter got one. I bet you could get one. And so many of us just settle for less. We don't consider, what, what, do, you, what do you think God wants to do? Because we're, we're the easy fix-it society. I don't have a solution right here. Just, oh, Terry, you know, and let's check your pockets. Oh, there's stuff in there you shouldn't even have. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have a solution either, obviously. But God, this will change everything. Again, just the other day, I was looking at a, a guy in the street corner. He had a sign. I empathized with him. I wondered, is the sign legit? Is the story, is he, is he really a veteran? Should I help him? Is he really, what's he gonna do with my money? And all the rest. And I wanted to help, but he looked like he needed more help than I could give. And he looked like he needed more help than he would ever get. And so I looked at his life and I just made the decision. I discounted him, said, no, nope, he's not gonna make it. Looked at my, I, I can't help him either. And I drove on. And the Lord's been bringing him back to my mind. What if God has a but God story for him? Why not? Well, I don't know. I was just checking the budget in heaven. Getting a little low on funds. <laughs> 2017's coming. Things are tight. People are losing their job. <laughs> it's funny. Heaven has money. Heaven has power. Heaven, break every chain. Break every chain. Paul's saying there's the riches of God, and they are outnumbering your imagination, your thoughts, what you've seen, what you've heard, more and more and more. We're so small-minded, we're so pessimistic, we're so exhausted, because we're so humanistic. 
We're just, it's all about us. It's all about what can I do and what can you do? And both of us equals zero. Here's what he says, though. Look at verse six. He says, and he raised us up together, and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only is he so rich that he just wants to bless us, not only does he want to do it to dead people, but he does it for this very specific reason. And I could actually end here. I might run out of time. I want you to get this. A lot of people want to know what God is doing in my life or what God wants to do. And I believe there's really something profound in verse 6. He says he's raised us up. This is what God has done to you if you now have been saved. You were dead, you're not anymore. You were poor, now you're rich. You had nothing, now you have everything. You were gone, you're now found. And he raised us up together and he made us sit together in the heavenly places, not with Christ Jesus, but in Christ Jesus. That's the same word he always uses. We're now in Christ, which is with Christ. If you can believe this, imagine God has kids. And imagine God loves those kids. And imagine God loves more than anything else at all just to be with those kids. And sin has come and separated his kids from him. And there's now a war between the world, between our fallen nature, between the devil, God's arch enemy. And now God has gone on a war path of wrath, given that wrath to his son to endure and to accept in order to pay for the penalties and sins of the entire world, in order to restore, verse six, fellowship. He's raised us up and sat us together with Christ. He just brought us to the table. He said, I'm done being separated. I'm gonna go to whatever length it takes just to be with you. A lot of us wanna know what God wants to do with my life now. What does God expect of my life now? And who should I be now? And God would say, all that's gonna come out just fine. What I really want you to focus on is just being with me. Can you, can you fathom that? It's kind of like a great marriage, a pure marriage, the best marriage. Marriage, when I even mentioned the word, has a lot of different emotions because marriage is kind of messed up in our culture. But if you can imagine a pure marriage, a great marriage, a wonderful marriage, that solely these two, these two solely wanted, why are we getting married? Well, because if we get married, we'll have a better financial portfolio. <laughs> have fun, you know. See you in court. <laughs> what if somebody got married and said, you know why we're getting married? We honestly, it's not about what we'll do or who we'll become or who this person will make me. And that's often what comes into marriage is this person's going to complete me and help me accomplish what I'm trying to do. And it's all underwritten, it's way low. But it's like, what if a marriage was saying, I actually. I just want to commit forever to this person because I just want to be with them and that's it. And everything that comes out of that is great. But the core, the purity, the foundation is just being together. I love this person. I, would, I, I don't want to live life without them. I don't care where we go for better or for worse in sickness and, and health. It's a, a pure, I just, want to, I, just want to, I just like being with you. I just like being with you. Imagine that scenario. God comes down and says, I just want to save your dead life. Why? What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be with you. I, I truly just want you to be well. I want you to be blessed. Like that cop who pulled me over in the J.C. Market parking lot. Okay? In, in reality, in, in pureness, in, in the bottom line brass tacks foundation of his job, he honestly just wants me to be well. Wants me to be safe. Doesn't want me to die and kill people. Wants me to learn to drive. So too God says in verse six, I just want you to maybe consider this as our last thoughts and we'll pick up some more next week. He raised us up together and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He just wants to be with you, okay? He, he wants to spend that time in, in your presence as a redeemed being. Now that you've accepted his son, now that your wrath has been paid for, I saw one quote earlier this week that said some, that heaven, or should I say it this way, people invented God as a way to get to heaven. But, it, but in reality, heaven, where we're going, is a way to get to God. Heaven is where we're going eventually to be with God, but even now, right this moment, he's with you, and he wants your fellowship, your presence, your interaction, your joy. 
We'll get to the good works and all the rest that comes out of that. And a pure marriage, a, a joyful marriage, a friendship, a relationship best illustrates this idea that the Lord just wants to be with you. I'm gonna have the worship team come on up and you guys can read ahead and study and get some stuff out of the portion we haven't got to yet. Or, um, but I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we consider the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. Father, we thank you for your kindness toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet dead, while we were yet alienated from the promises of God, from the wealth of Israel, while we were doing our own foolishness, you died for us. You ate the wrath that was on our plate. You took it out of the way, Jesus, in order that we might have that freedom from sin, fellowship of God, and purpose in life. It's crazy. We're no better than anybody in the world. We're no better. There's only one who's better. There's only one who's good. There's only one who's not confused. There's only one who's not perverted. There's only one who's not stricken. There's only one who hasn't failed. And that's the one that ate the wrath. That's the one that took it for you, the failure, the sinner, the bum, the loser. I'm, I'm using words for myself. It's Jesus, rich in mercy. And he lives inside of you this day, Christian. he loves you he's not freaking out about what he's going to get from you not even really interested in it you are his workmanship his poem his project he's going to figure that out what he really longs for is what you really long for intimacy fellowship and communion with him that's why he died That's why he suffered. That's why he's building mansions and heavens for you and for me forever. Lord, I pray that you'd give us faith and understanding to believe you're good, to believe you're God, to believe you're great, to believe you're rich, to believe you're not done, to believe your, your wealth creates in us our worth. And your wealth is not limited, it's not short, it's not budgeted, it's beyond compare. And as we come to the table and remember your son, our king, the warrior, the lover, the one who has courted us, who has sought us, who has pursued us, who has guaranteed us heaven after death and purpose in life, we remember what he has done for us. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, we salute our king who has died for us. Holy Spirit, anoint us now to live for you. Bless this time as we celebrate the table of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.